Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Loosehead Podcast with me, Jeff Neville. This season of the podcast is focused entirely on the coaching side of the game, discussing topics like creating a positive environment, focusing on the process, overcoming ego, various aspects of player management and dealing with the wins and losses that come with it. A different coach will join me every week to share their expertise and their experience. And this week, I'm delighted to welcome back Mike Pendergast. Mike is both the attack and backs coach in Racing 92 and took the time to appear on an earlier episode of the podcast as well. Mike, thanks a million for coming back on. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. Good to talk. How's, uh, how's been back at rugby and having the season up and running? Um, it's been great. It's been great. Busy, which is, uh, which is a good thing, especially after um, not having it for so long um, with a good long pre-season. Obviously, then the game started a couple of weeks ago with a couple of uh, pre-season games. And we played two league games and we're into a Champions Cup uh, quarter-final this weekend. In unusual circumstances in terms of it's, it's, it's usually the other part of the year it's on. But, uh, but yeah, it's here and we're, we're really looking forward to it. It's, it's different, but it's, uh, as I said, it was, um, you'd always look forward to your championship first and foremost, your bread and butter. But to have the quarter-finals so early, as I said, I think during the, the, uh, the pre-season, um, there was an extra kind of boost there as well, um, and obviously you've guys training incredibly hard to to, to be selected and um, put their best foot forward in the last couple of games. So uh, it's it, it's different, but it's uh, as I said, it, it's it's very exciting. Probably a nice carrot to have though, as well. You know, heading into the full season, kind of to have those kind of tests good and early in the season. Yeah, kind of. I suppose it sharpens everything. It sharpens everything, um, and as I said, it's 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 a good place to be. I prefer to be there than not to be there. And um, you know, it's it's you can see guys over the last, especially over the last number of weeks, that that you could sense this game was kind of around the corner, albeit with two with two big league games. And it was something that we'd spoken about at the the start of this this season as well that we needed to to start well because I suppose last year uh, at the start of the year we we with a couple of losses, um, albeit we lost. 12, 13 players to, to the World Cup, but it, it still wasn't good enough. So that was something we, we, we spoke about. And unfortunately, we had we two um, victories in the last two weeks. So um, so we've this game on Saturday and, and really looking forward to it. So I asked you on to the podcast again because I'd like to chat to you just about the coaching side of things. So if it's mm-hmm. all right with you, I'll just jump straight in. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of stress as a result of coaching and a lot of time and energy goes into it and is invested in it as well. So the first question I'd like to ask you is, considering all those different things, why do you do it? I suppose I, I really enjoy the game. I love breaking down the game. Um, it's something that I've had a big passion for for a long number of years. I think when I was a player, um, I had a lot of injuries when I when I was when I was with Munster actually in my my early years there. I did my my cruciate and I did my shoulder and I was out for almost uh, over a year and that's where I kind of. I started thinking about coaching and I suppose, look, over the years as well, I've moved a small bit as a player and I get exposed to, to different uh, environments and different clubs and I've just got different tastes for the game and the way the game can be can be looked at and, and taught out. And I always had a, a passion, obviously, for the game to play, but from an early age as, as a coach as well. And I suppose that was kind of highlighted when I had those injuries because... Um, I didn't know was it going to be first of all kept on as a professional player because it was out for quite a considerable length of time um, and even at that I wasn't sure my career continued and I obviously wanted to stay in the game um, and the next I suppose best thing is outside playing was coaching and that's where I suppose I got I got the hunger for it. Do you think if you don't have that initial passion for coaching if you view it as just kind of a day job that 
like players will figure you out very quickly and just have no interest. Yeah, I suppose. Look, rugby players these days are, are the majority of them are, are students of the game, you know. So you do, you need to be on top of everything. But I think, you know, most coaches that go into the game don't go in for the sake of it because it is, uh, it's a tough, uh, it's a tough job and it's long hours. It takes huge dedication um, for you and for your family and everything. And obviously, a lot of travel within it. So you need to be, uh, you need to be passionate about it. You need to love the game and, um, you know, I, I, to be fair to, to most coaches that I know that are in the professional game and obviously coaching at home in, in the IL and stuff as well, that um, it's something they love, you know. So you've coached in the AIL now as well as professional rugby. So when it comes to the players you select, are there any non-negotiables that you need to see from them first? And if so, what would those non-negotiables look like? I suppose first of all, you. You got to see the person and 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 see how hard working they are, um, and whether that's in a in a club team or or uh, or in a professional team, um, you see how they they apply themselves, and I think look they're they're non negotiables, and then obviously after that you see where they are as as um, as rugby players individually, you know, and from a technical point of view and a tactical point of view, and I suppose the guys that push on are probably that's where they get that that's where they have that extra that extra step and. I suppose reach the top, you know. But yeah, they would be kind of the the non-negotiables, just their their attitude, how they apply themselves, both on and off the pitch, and uh, and um, and you see how driven they are to to succeed. Bar the desire to win, mm-hmm. what parallels have you seen between teams and players in the AIL and in the professional game? Um, I suppose just their 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 skill set um, and their tactical awareness, and that comes from being being full time. Um, in terms of, of, of club players, you know, the majority of guys that I would coach in the Young Monsters over the years were very good rugby players um, and, uh, you know, and played with, sorry, in, in at club rugby, uh, club level um, and mightn't have been too far away. You know, there was players over the years that you could see that um, you knew if they got into a professional setup that they would kick on. It just, it didn't happen for different reasons. One, maybe guys didn't, didn't want to go down that route or... Um, you know, they had players in front of them in terms of a depth chart that were playing. For example, when I was playing with your monsters, there have been players there that, you know, you could see that if they had that opportunity to get in there and um I suppose get on that 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 ladder, um there in things in terms of their, their technical ability and their tactical ability, I I've no doubt would have kicked on. But I suppose in Ireland you need to be on top of your game because you only have five teams. So um, opportunities are more limited, whereas in France you've you've thirty professional teams. In England, you know you've obviously the Premiership and the Championship, which not every not every team is professional. But up to kind of a year or two ago, you're looking at um, more than half their teams. So um, they had, the, I suppose, the platform and the opportunities to, to kick on. So what I'm, I suppose what I'm getting at is there's a huge amount of club players at home. I think personally that um, if they were given the opportunity or elsewhere, obviously. That uh, I'm sure they 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 climb up the ladder in a in a professional team in a professional outfit. In saying that, let's say if you have two hookers vying for the same AIL spot mm. and the same AIL team, let's say just like players might move from Leinster to Ulster or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know the way that happens yeah, at the yeah, moment. Yeah. You think more could be done at club level to help facilitate that? And I know it's more parochial, and fellas might have played their whole lives at one club, but if it meant maybe getting seen and getting a chance to move up the ranks 
Yeah. Do you think maybe Munster Rugby or Ulster, whoever it is involved, could facilitate? That? Yeah, I think I think it does happen a bit as well. Um, my own brother, Gerard Primagas, is, is is coaching young monsters there, so I have a keen eye still on, on the club scene at home, and and you do see guys moving around from, I suppose, in, in club teams from within cities, um, and I suppose the next level then will be Munster that they can facilitate and they can coordinate with the clubs that, um, you know, that I suppose that you're not blocking players as such that there's as you as you mentioned earlier on if you've for example especially hookers and, and scrum has because the more specific positions that club rugby is not far from Munster and you have a Munster player maybe that's that's uh is third choice or fourth choice or is in the academy or what may or, or whatnot that he may potentially play with a different club. So you're you're opening the I suppose the you're widening the net a bit and and, and in Ireland you we need to do that, you know. We need to collaborate with the, with the clubs as much as we can. And, and I know things have changed between club rugby and, and professional rugby, absolutely. It's never going to be the same way it was. But maybe there is that, um, maybe there is that, that moment in time that hopefully that, that will change. And uh, as I said, the, the more players we can find at home and the and standard of players, it will just push the, the standard in Irish rugby in general up, you know. So looking at standard, you're in charge of the standard of attack for Racing. And how much input do the players have on your plans? Um, they'd absolutely, they'd have, a, they'd have an input. Um, I think that's very important. They're the guys who go out and, and perform every weekend. Obviously, I suppose, look, talking about, about ourselves here in Racing, we have a framework that we work from. So we have a, we have a system that we work from. And within that system, you want your players to express themselves um, and they would have, have input into that, you know. But then I suppose, look, within that, um, you know, you, you've certain plays, you've certain patterns, you've certain uh, strike plays that you would have as a, as a coach that you'd like to implement or you will implement for the weekend. You know, and I encourage players to come to me and, and, and give me their thoughts. And especially, I'm, I'm sure most attack coaches will, will, will tell you that there is always, I suppose, the tens is someone that you would work for because work with probably in terms of relationship because you know they're they're the drivers obviously 15 players that that help out but they're big decision makers and more than often i found over over during my career as a professional coach that they're probably the guys that would come to you about certain plays or certain patterns that that they would like the way i look at it I, i'd be very much open to that and if it suits the profile of our players and the profile of our team and it's a play or a, a certain aspect of the game Absolutely, I, I look at it, you know, because they they feel then that they can go onto the pitch and they can carry that, and that's that's a a major thing to have as well, you know. But as I said, there's there's I suppose looking at racing, we'd have a framework. I give the boys a framework, uh, um, in terms of a system, and you want them to go out and to express themselves. You have different ingredients, you know, in terms of your decision making, um, your technical ability or tactical, and and for an attack, your your rock is a massive part of that, you know, so. Just talking about that structure and everything you've mentioned there, when you have a player like Finn Russell at 10, and even at club rugby, if you have that one guy who has that X factor who can do what he wants with a ball, how do you go about imposing a structure without actually limiting their capabilities? There's a framework there and, and, and you want, you know, you're not going to try and change a huge amount about what Finn Russell does or, or Virami Vakatawa or Teddy guys, you know, they're, they're very talented players. You want to get the best out of them. So, what you do is you give them a framework, you give them a system um, that you feel is, is best for their skill set. And within that, as I said, those ingredients in terms of their decision making. And, and I suppose, look, we're fortunate that we've a 10 who was probably up in the top two or three 
tens in the world over the last couple of years. Um, and his decision making and his his ability to make decisions quite late on the line is is something probably for me that sets him apart. And then obviously you've got the threats around him, and you've got guys our wingers work really really hard to, to you know, for for example, for to be on his inside off off. Um, midfield rocks or whatever maybe you've you've that would be your blind side winger you have your open side winger or your back row depending what system you play and um, that's pulling an edge so he knows he has that kick option and it's something I think that that Finn has has added to his game um over the last couple of seasons just as his offensive kicking game unfortunately and even last weekend we scored a couple of tries from it so um obviously to have decisions is is, is massively important but the stuff that goes around it and the, the players' uh, ability and their work rate around them as well, um, and him knowing that they're in a certain position in a certain attack or in a certain system um, can only help your 10, you know. Um, and it's something that, uh, let's speak for, for what goes on here, it's something that Finn drives um, and, and people and, and players adapt to him very, very easily, you know, because um, he's a guy that, um, you know, I, I know he looks like a guy that just like, nearly rocks up and, and he just pulls out these bags of tricks but he's a guy that works very hard during the week both on and off the pitch in terms of his video analysis um, he's scanning he's scouting teams he's scouting certain individuals in oppositions um, and and we would collectively as well and, and when you have that and you have that connection in a system um, and when you have a 10 that, that can I suppose exploit that um, it's a very useful weapon to have within within the tech system, and and that's talking about Finn here, but it's talking about other tens that I would have coached in terms of club or or in Oynex with Ben Bottegar in in Grenoble, for example. So, given that framework to the players and letting the players play whatever they want within that framework, would you give the freedom to let's say a football and forward to follow? Let's say your twelve or your thirteen, in the hopes that he acts as a link play rather than. And I know the rook is very important, but to give one forward maybe the freedom just to link, look to be that link player, or would you give it to all eight? No, it's more. Yeah, you you would again. It just depends on your your profile of your players who who plays plays on the weekend. For example, you guys like for example, an Anthony Classens, who for me is like it's nearly an extra back in terms of again, it's where you position him um, and what plays you put through, whether it be um, strike plays or patterns. Um, but for example, he's he's an example of what I, I I would use in terms of we keep him. You look back over the years of of different teams that might keep certain forwards available and and and, and loose, I suppose, free reign. And you look at a guy like Shaq Brits, the, the hooker in Saracens, and you know Mark McCall used you know use him as a like an extra link player, an extra link man, and it's a massive thing in, in, in your attack if you can have that. So again, look, some of those players mightn't play every week. So Anthony Classens mightn't play every week. So a, a different number eight might come in. He might have a different skill set. You might use a, a different player. You know, if it's a hooker, you might change him in, in a certain position. But, um, but in general, you're, 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 you're given, as I said, there's a framework there. Um, you know, I suppose the gray area would be the offload in general, you know, so you'll have teams that take high risk rugby in terms of, to lose, um, but look, it's part of their DNA for the last whatever twenty years, and that, that's the way they train, and that's the way they've been coached, and they're incredibly effective after of it. And then you've other teams that, that I won't say don't allow the the offload, but um, you know, you're not taking that. They're a bit more, a bit more conservative. Absolutely, and you're not taking that risk. So that's that's a 
that that can be a tricky one on a Monday. I can tell you for any coach, for any attack coach, you know, getting because you can't stand up in front of a group. And uh, well, personally, I wouldn't stand up in front of a group. And if a guy goes for, you know, a speculative offload, for me, you can't encourage that. But it just depends if you get through the tackle and you know you can see that player, that forward or whatever it may be, flooding through and, and it's on and the ball happened again and the ball goes to ground, you know, I would encourage it and I'd look at it as a, as a positive. Okay, technically the ball went, wasn't a good pass, but tactically the decision-making within it was the right decision, you know. So And as I said, you can't stand up in the stand and, and, and clap it if, if, if a winger goes into the po- under the post um, one day and, and another day, you know, the ball goes to, to deck because... It's the right decision, but it was just technically um, not, uh, um, you know, the, 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 the offload wasn't performed well. So um, it's a small bit of a, a grey area, and I'm sure every would, would, would vouch for that as well, you know. Yeah, so you're look, kind of looking at the decision versus the execution, and afterwards you can say, right, this week we're going to have a little look at your offload and try and upskill that maybe. Absolutely, absolutely. And again, it comes down to position. Um you know, opposition, sorry, and in terms of the weather or whatever. So you might go into a game with a focus, you know, not, to, I wouldn't say not to offload, but, you know, be fairly sure if you can. If not, you're going with the mentality of maybe one more ruck. So that would be one ruck more um, in terms of if it's one you feel it's a 60, 40, 70, 30, just, just hit the ground, hold on to it and create one more ruck, you know, that you, you keep all, you keep onto the ball and build those, those phases. How do you continue to innovate that framework throughout the season? Um, it's a good question. There's just little nuggets within it. Um, I suppose during the lockdown and over the last couple of weeks, just talking to different coaches, being honest, Jake, you know, there's, there's, there's been a lot of different discussions between coaches of nuggets that you feel would work within your system. And, and I can see, I've actually seen it implemented over the last uh, number of weeks, both or number of months, both within the the competition in New Zealand, the competition in, in the, the Premiership, um, in the top 14, you can see the nuggets within different systems. Um, some of them will work for you um, in terms of, again, your profiles of players or, or some of them, you know, something that you feel you mightn't uh, be fully 100% behind, so you wouldn't push it. Um, or again, as I said, co- our players, have, they've come up with it, they've, you know, decided because the long break um, and... You know, most players and coaches don't just switch off. You're always looking to to get better and see can you find um, new ideas, whatever. And it's something that I suppose we have tried to build over the last couple of weeks. And it's as you said, it's just little nuggets um, and it's just little aspects of our game that that we feel might help us. And obviously, then the, the you know the, the new rules within the breakdown is something that. Um, that has changed, I suppose, everyone's focus. You know, you need to be so reactive around that rock as well because, look, we can talk about whatever attack we want, whatever players you have. Unless you get your rock right and your rock speed, um, it's going to dent your attack. So it's something that I put a huge amount of focus and emphasis on. And um, when you get that right, that's where it'll help the likes of Finn Russell. It'll help the likes, as I said before, uh, your, your, your Simon Zebos, your Vermeer Vekatawas and, and whatnot, you know. You've actually mentioned the ruck quite a few times now over the last little while. How mm. much time do you spend on the ruck during the week? Um, on the pitch, not a huge amount. Uh, we just potentially once, twice a week on our on our collective sessions, we might do a little hit out for five or six minutes, and it doesn't have to be full on. It's more through the through the video, to be honest with you. 
um, that I coached and I suppose I was fortunate enough to to work with with Paul O'Connell for for a year in in, in Stansey and it was a massive aspect that he was focused on um, and he was incredibly good at getting his points across and he kept it very simple but he had a system um, and it was something that I suppose look previously he had learned off Joe Joe is renowned for Joe Smith's renowned for his 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 rock and uh, as I said I was fortunate enough and I just I, I followed and and I picked up nuggets that that he used to uh, implement and the one interesting thing that I thought that I that I suppose stood out it was it was just he was so consistent every week about the same things but he he used he used culture through the video you know individually collectively but it was done uh, it was done but short so the sort of videos weren't long it was short but it was very very often we'd hit and it literally three or four rocks three or four examples of training matches um it's something i think that stood to us last year fortunately enough our, our rock was was um was that one of the highest things in europe and in the top 14 and as i said that's your heartbeat for your attack because if you don't get that quick ball um you know it can cause stress in, on your attack and and the opposite when you do get quick ball um you can stress defenses a lot easier you know at amateur level when the breakdowns coached a lot of the time it's just get in there first win the shoulder battle if you don't need a, an extra body to come in just don't come in and that's kind of all you're told and you're just told to get there quickly but when you were let's say when paul o'connell was um when he was talking about the rock is there anything he was talking about besides let's say winning the shoulder battle and getting in there first yeah, it would it would all start with your boy carrier. It would all start with your boy carrier and just your 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 cleaners, um, identifying and and looking for the menaces around the ball, the the threats, sorry, menaces in French, and the threats around the ball. Um, but a big focus on 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 your ball player. And up to this season, obviously your ball carrier, so your ball carrier, could could be more active on the ground. That rule is obviously it has changed at a small bit, and we've to adapt. We've had to adapt, especially over here in the top fourteen. There's there's a huge amount of penalties around the breakdown. Um, once that that jackler gets in and he gets his hands on it and he lifts the ball any bit off the ground, it's a penalty straight away. So, um, so we've had to to adapt it. We've had to change certain aspects of it. But get back to your, to your question, you were saying, Jeff, about about Paul. There, there were things I suppose that that I that I took from him, and it was just at the start they found it kind of I suppose very different that you coach the breakdown through the through the video more so, which is really interesting and. I could see why, um, because you can't go hammering rocks every every day or every second day during the week. Because obviously, from a physical point of view, but you can do so much good work through through the video, which obviously with all the modern technology that we have now. Um, but a big focus would have been on the ball carrier um, at the start, and obviously, you're you're depending on what system you're playing. If you're playing a one three three one or whatever two four two, that those two cleaners they just forget about the ball player so the ball player is really active on the ground and you just focus on any threat that comes in around the ball and using the video to describe this would you make use of the let's say would you make use of whatsapp or anything like that just uh, to send short clips to your players 100 percent. i was just about to say whatsapp is a brilliant tool for it you just send them out some days they're gone from the from the setup at, at, at uh, two or three o'clock in the afternoon um obviously the coaches are there longer and we're looking at training that's just happened that morning i pick up in a few things around the rocks send them um with a little voice message in behind but you send them sometimes you send them individually but generally collective collectively you put on the group whatsapp because it's not just for that player it's for for everybody else you know and it's not to make an example and, and the boys understand that it's, it's 
It's about learning. It's constructive criticism. Um, and then what you do is you'd hit on maybe three or four before uh, every collective video. Um, and, and again, on a Friday for your team run and other things. So we put a lot of pride and a lot of work in here. So, um, yeah, but as I said, WhatsApp would be, it's, it's, a, it's a great tool to professional coaches, amateur coaches, club coaches, whatever. It's, it's a tool we can all use, which is great. I find it brilliant that you can also take videos, let's say, of something on Instagram, you know, a team at the weekend scores a try, mm. but you can just circle, let's say, the fella, like you said earlier, working off the ball or a player working off the ball uh, just to get in the right position. And you can just circle that there, like in WhatsApp, send it on and just be like, watch that player there. It's suddenly it's a whole video session without actually having to get off the couch, really. Like. Yeah, yeah. Pictures and videos show a lot and they tell a lot, you know. So, uh, you know what? I suppose it's a good example. The weekend we we played our first game in the arena, and our 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 Wi-Fi went, so we'd no visual for our game, which is the first time it happened. Um, it's just something that that happened. Unfortunately, we did good win. We we won 41-17, sorry against Montpellier, and that straight after the game. And same with the head coach. We both said, you know, the performance was 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 good. You know, it was a step up. Um, then you go home and you watch it in the video. Um, and it's cert- 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 sometimes it happens the, the flip side but I went home and watched the video obviously a couple of times during the weekend and there was so much good stuff so you know the video can tell you so much as opposed to seeing something with the with the naked eye for you know a split second or, or whatever it may be on because as I said we didn't have live footage live uh, feed coming through to us which it hasn't happened and look it's something that happened and, and it's not the end of the world um, but to usually when you're watching it uh, live as well obviously you're there but to watch it live you're picking up a lot of stuff but when we didn't and my thoughts process after the game as opposed to when I watched the game was was massively different and sometimes that could be the flip reverse as well so just something interesting that, that happened from the weekend as, as you alluded to in terms of video watching guys off the ball um, live screen stuff live shots it's, it's it tells a lot of pictures or it tells a lot of stories is there any aspects of play or coaching that you've taken from that you may have seen on TV of other sports that you've brought into your own? And there would be, yeah, there would be just um, in, in various games and of our own games at home, just their work rate and that ability to, I suppose, make your team, your your teammate look good, and it's stuff you do off the ball that helps that, you know. So, I suppose when I'm when I'm when I'm watching videos and when I'm watching games or whatever, our own games on a Monday, I'll often. Um, praise guys we might score a try after whatever 10 phases but it could be that third or fourth rock or that um huge work rate from getting out of a rock at an age give an inside option for example a one him off he's at a rock on an edge and he works inside for finn and we scored teddy tommy goes in the corner the other side you, you know they're the things that, that matter a lot for me to be honest as, as a coach you see a lot of that in, in other sports. You know, hurling is, is a great example. You see guys went to, I remember watching Limerick and Clare, was just the, the work off the ball that guys were doing to, to create space and uh, to help their teammates was, was really interesting to watch. And, um, you know, that'd be one sport along with others that, that I would. I, I, I'd, watch, I'd watch games in, in terms of, um, or sorry, sports and how they do things a bit, a bit differently, you know. I'm sure you watched it as well, but I was watching The Last Dance. I actually went away and I read Phil Knight's book then afterwards. Mm. And his his influence from different sports was just incredible. Like he, mm. he took things from everywhere he'd been and previous coaches he had. But do you take um, any aspects of coaching from previous coaches you had? Do you borrow from that as well? Oh, 
Absolutely. And I was fortunate enough to, to be coached by, by a, an array of different coaches that, you know, Southern Hemispheres, um, Northern Hemisphere coaches, French coaches, Irish coaches, and, and absolutely, and, and not just coaches and players as well. You know, you would have, over the years playing with some highly intelligent rugby players, likes of, you know, Paul, Dougie Howlett, these guys, you know. So, um, and then even I remember my days in, uh, in Gloucester and Bourguan as well, through coaches, just Dean Ryan, for example, really, really articulate coach. And the start of the, of the podcast that, um, you know, when I got that injury quite early, or those injuries, you should say, I, I thought I was going to potentially have to finish up. And fortunately enough, I didn't. And I managed to go on and play for a couple of years. But it was in my head then that I was coaching. So what I did is basically, I, I kept a little book I really enjoyed as, as a player that I might use as a coach to kind of jot it down, whether, whether it be drills, whether it be a strike play, whether it be a pattern or whatever it may be. Um, and I just kind of built it up as, as I went on, along. And um, and as I said, I was, I was fortunate enough to not just play with in Munster with, with great players and great coaches, but also to, to travel a bit as well and, and get those experiences elsewhere. And um, in Ireland, in Ireland, the start of the professional area would have had a lot of different um you know, some of the hemispheric coaches coming in, like Alan Gaffney, who was a really good technical coach. Um, and again, would have picked up little nuggets here and there from him. But yeah, and I just don't think you can beat experience. Do you think that because while you were coaching, you were still playing, that that coaching made you a better player? At the start, it was, it was quite difficult. I, I had just, I suppose, finished professional rugby and you're straight into a director rugby job and you're playing. Um, and I remember, as again, you, you get... If you surround yourself with good people, you get good advice. I remember John Broderick saying to me, who was our forwards coach at the time, who's a well renowned coach in, in Limerick, I remember him saying to me just to, to, to step back from it playing wise. And I did for a while and I went back in playing. But um but from that point of view, I suppose when I went back in, I went back in probably a lot calmer and a lot cooler as a player because I suppose I had a lot of things in my play playing and, and trying to be a director of rugby. And when I went back in, um I was I was far more calmer and I suppose I went in more as a as a as a coach playing as opposed to a player coaching. So um it was an interesting one at the time, but it was something that that definitely uh that definitely was the right decision and John Broderick with his with his wise head said that to me. So he told you to surround yourself with people who give you good advice and that, but let's say the leadership group you have in Racing. Mm-hmm or the leadership groups you used to have with Young Munster and that. Mm-hmm. What did they look like or what do they look like now? In wrestling, it was already implemented. The, the, the group was still there. It's, 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 I suppose, a squad. You even look at it this year, we've only, we've only brought in three players. Um, so you have that stability, which is a massive thing. So with, with, with leaders, it takes time to, to grow. And I think even you look back to the, to the successful years in Munster, I suppose, when you had likes of Paul and, and, and Ronan and guys, guys like this, you know, that took time to, to, to build up. You've got to go through hardship to, I suppose, when you come out the other side of it, it's something that stands to you. And, and you know, I suppose the proof was in the pudding when, when, when Munster went on to win, um, win Heineken Cups and whatnot. And that was done with a, a very good core of players, obviously, but a very good core of leaders as well that, that built up, that took time to build up. And um, I suppose through my career, I, I've seen that as, as a player and, again, alluding to it a few times, being in different countries, being in different teams, seeing good le- good leadership groups within staffs, within within players. Um and it's something that, you know, they can re- if you have a good leadership group as a player group, 
it can massively help your, your staff because it's it's them that drives it but you have to have that um big communication system within both in terms of your your players and your coaches that you're constantly communicating and you want those four or five or six leaders to, to really drive everything you know and, and here is a bit different because obviously the language barrier in terms of certain players but it's it's something as i said that the leadership group here have been there for for a couple of years and you know you've you've got like Donic Ryan who comes in who's who's taken all his experiences that he's had in Munster and he's he's passing that on, which is which is very helpful for us. And then you've a guy like, like Finn Russell who's as you said, he's he's a guy that, that that thinks about the game a lot and and you mightn't think he's the type leadership type, but he does it in a very subtle, quiet way. Um and obviously then you've you've sort of good experience in terms of Max Max Mashner and stuff. So as I said, your 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 players there is a lot of, of turnover here in terms of um, squads and stuff, but fortunately for us, over the last couple of years, um, there hasn't been too much of a, of a shift there. So you can see that that, that um, leadership growing at the moment. Well, Mike, the last question I'd like to ask you is actually thanks to John Broderick giving you the advice, but mm-hmm. it would be what advice would you give to coaches, either coaching in the AIL or looking to progress into the AIL or anything like that? I see, yeah, it's 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 a good question, and it's 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 one I suppose that I that I tried to do when I when I was a coach. I was just looking for that opportunity, and when I was in the monsters, I was looking for an opportunity in Ireland. It's 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 a lot harder, obviously, because as I said, you only have the four teams. Obviously, with Ireland, you five, but so opportunities are very limited. And um, I suppose what I did is, first of all, you got to get as much coaching under your belt as as you can. You just can't beat experiences you're going along, um, and just to get out there. Um, and upskill yourself as much as you can. Try and get into professional setups in terms of your your local, you know, province or if you're wherever you are. Uh, you can get in and you can get to, to to view some of these trainings, or or more importantly, to view the trainings is one thing, but to sit down with the coaches is another thing. And and there'll always be nuggets. There'll be certain things that sit well with you. There'll be certain things that you know you mightn't fancy too much, but there'll always be those two or three nuggets. And there's something when I was in the monsters that I, I tried to get out. Fortunately enough, I. I had monster in my my doorstep, and I was a previous player there, so it was easier. But I got around to a couple of a uh, couple of clubs in England and and whatnot, and um and as I said, just picked up those nuggets and um and just keep getting out there, asking questions, and um you know keep banging on doors, and that's if a coach wants to go on to professional setup if he's if he's in a full time job or and he's happy with that, um you know. They want to be the best coaches in the IL, and I'd still advise the same, uh, the same advice there. You know, the same. Yeah, I think it's important not to be embarrassed to reach out. Like everyone wants to learn, so it's really you're like you're not the only one in that boat. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. And and as I said, I remember, and I've alluded to this a couple of times that I've no, uh, I've no problem saying I, I picked up the phone to the coaches from the other side of the world that I hadn't spoken to in ten years, or you know, coaches that have moved on. I, sent CVs to, I just, you know, I tried to get a connection in every club that might show me the way to a director of rugby or whatever, just to send them a CV or give it to a player that I knew that was playing the club. And, you know, I banged on a lot of doors just trying to get the opportunity. And unfortunately, I suppose I was fortunate enough that I got that opportunity in uh, in Grenoble through, through Bernard Jackman originally, you know. So there's no, absolutely no shame in it. Well, I don't feel any shame in it. And especially, you know, at home, we've 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 had very good coaches in Ireland, and I think that has, you know, that has filtered down. 
club level through the coaches that the, the national team have, through the coaches that the, the provincial teams have, and um, speaking to coaches at home, um, club wise, they're they're knowledgeable group, you know. So, well, Mike, I'd like to say a massive thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast again and for being so open about everything. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thanks a million, Jeff. No hassle. And best of luck for the season. I hope it all goes well for you. Cheers. Thanks a million. Oh, hassle. Well, that's it for me today, folks. If you'd like to hear more from Mike Prendergast, he kindly took the time to appear on season one to discuss his career and some coaching methodologies. You can catch it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get yours. Thanks and good luck.